0: This is the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It's set up and designed for coaches, leaders, and influencers to share their stories and inspire others to share their stories as well, that we can all learn together as a community and get better every day. So thank you for listening. You're season two. Today's guest is Paul Hewitt. Coach Hewitt is a former Division I college coach and currently serves as regional scout for the Los Angeles Clippers. We talked to him today about setting a good example for your players, pushing your players every day, the different levels there are to evaluating players, and also we discuss the current situation in society with the civil unrest. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well, considering kind of everything that's going on and kind of have a heavy heart, uh, you know, in regards to society, what's going on around the country. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, you know, being the optimist that I am, you know, I've got my own household to kind of tend to. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think that's kind of the, the goal for all of us is like, we, we always want to make sure that we're kind of insulating our own families and our own communities to whatever extent we can. so yeah, no it, it, it's a good day. I woke up and so you know hope, yeah hope you're having a good one too, coach.
2: yeah,
1: I, I think I can echo your sentiments you know let's uh let's let's start at home educating the people that are nearest and dearest to us and people we have an impact on and hopefully that that
0: word spreads. Yes, sir no, definitely. Uh, Coach, here again, I know you. I know your time is, is very valuable, just like the rest of us, and here again, I th- thank you for coming on now. Coach, I always start off the podcast with asking this question, how are you introduced to the game of basketball coming out of New York?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I'm from Kingston, Jamaica. I was born in 1963, and I came here when I was seven years old, uh, I think it was August of 1970 when I arrived to, to New York. Um, and just was always interested in sports, even going back when I was in Jamaica I was a fan of played cricket, fan of cricket and yeah. soccer. And then I came here, uh, fell in love with all the New York sports teams. Uh, of course, the New York Mix, the New York Yankees were my favorite team, but I still watch the Mets, baseball, and even hockey and horse racing and everything. But I didn't really start playing the game of basketball until about 10th grade. I, um, wow. I love baseball always watched basketball, was a fan of it, played schoolyard and pick up, but never got organized until uh, my 10th grade year. A friend of mine, true story, actually made me a bet that I couldn't make the junior varsity team at Westbury High School where I uh, attended on Westbury, Long Island. And uh, I went out for the team and uh, really loved it. I had had an outstanding coach, uh, Martin Reed, who passed away in 93. But... He, he made the game a lot of fun. Uh, he was an English teacher um, that was, you know, a Westbury graduate himself and just a great role model in our community. And uh, so I got involved with the game around 10th grade and um, really, again, because of my teammates and because of Coach Reed, really enjoyed the experience and stuck with it ever
0: since then. Wonderful, Coach. Now, your experience as a player, you know, high school, college, all that, how, how was that for you?
1: You know, it was good. I, I was late to the game. The one thing I I, I didn't have a lot of bad habits because again, I didn't play a lot. I, I probably, like I said, I played more baseball. I pitched. I played a little third base, second base. So when I got to basketball, I mean, everything I learned from a coaching standpoint was fresh and new. And I tried to execute it the way that Coach Reed and um, you know taught us. Um, and played JV my sophomore year. I played low varsity in JV actually my junior year. Then my senior I had a very good year and got a, a scholarship to a Division II school at the time, St. John Fisher College in Rochester, New York. Nice. Um, so I, I, was, I was a guy that was kind of developing. Yeah. Um, and same thing for my college career. Freshman year, didn't play much, sophomore year, a little bit. And junior and senior year, played quite a bit, especially my senior year. I had a great uh, great experience in terms of statistics and winning games and things like that. we won 20 games that senior year. Um, and then from there uh, got into coaching. But um, but as a player, I would say I was one of those guys that was always kind of like on the come, but never really quite got to be uh, you know, the, the best guy on the team. Yeah, no, But I still I, loved the experience.
0: Yeah, and no, like you said, developing, constantly developing. And I think those of us who've had that kind of experience where it's like we never reached our full potential, or maybe we did, it's just that we always learn to be kind of lifelong learners by virtue of that. Kind of always yeah. knowing that we can learn, we can improve. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, and, and I think that's always uh, we have to take that perspective as coaches and as uh, for our players as well, because they need to know they got to develop every step of the way. Like where you're at now with the Clippers, you see guys either not wanting to develop because they think they've arrived, or thinking to themselves, "I'm still not good enough," and so yeah. they got to get better. So that's 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 kind of that kind of unique kind Of uh, process now, coach, yep. were you the player? Would you say you were a player that you'd want to coach right now?
1: Um, yeah, I, I would. Um, uh, because the one thing I always really was committed to was the team and being a good teammate. Um, you know, there, there are guys that you meet in, in the business that, that are, when you're a coach, would you say that they're, they're too coachable? Yep. and that's probably one of my flaws. Like, I try to do exactly what the coach. Should asked me to do. I, you know, I the plays, but very rarely would I deviate and what I've found over the years, especially now working in the NBA, the truly great ones have an instinct that they work within the framework or within the, the system that the coach provides, but the truly great ones are the ones that know when to deviate and and, uh, and, and make that play that, that, that can maybe make a difference, but I, I, was, I was always the type of person that wanted to please the coach, and um, that wanted to be a good teammate, um, and I think every coach can appreciate somebody like that. Now, obviously, I think I, I, I would want that. I won't, I would want me if I was coaching me be be a little bit more talented. <laughs> than I yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't think I, I, my my coach, Coach Reed, and I were very, very close. As a matter of fact. He ended up hiring me to be his assistant coach when I graduated from St. John Fisher. Wow. And my, my college coach, Coach Wanzer, and I, we had a good experience. Uh, I, I enjoyed playing for him. And um, I, I'm sure he would tell you that I was, I was no problems for him at all. <laughs>
0: you know, you, you said something really important that I've, I've probably never heard anybody talk about, honestly, is about being too, being too coachable. And uh, well, a unique unique idea that a player would be too coachable to where they felt like they couldn't, uh, you know. I always tell I tell people this all the time. With young players especially, we got to teach them how to make plays so when the play breaks down, they know yeah. what to do. And so that's kind of that concept yeah. of you just, you wanted to please your coach so much. And here again, you said be a good teammate. And sometimes you're too coachable. It's like you get kind of put in a box or, or kind of robotic so yeah, yeah. that's that an interesting term, Coach. I, I never heard that. So uh, one,
1: one of the things that I one of the quotes that really impacted my coaching, uh, Pete Newell, the former coach, I believe, at the University of San Francisco. Um, he, he often talked about the game is overcoached and undertaught, yeah. and I think when you overcoach it, you, you definitely tend to put co- players in a box. Yeah. And I, I think the, the the best players, the great ones. Whether it's you know a Magic Johnson, uh, a Larry Bird, or today with LeBron James, you know some of the great players today, you give them a framework, and you teach them you know what are good things and what are bad things, and let them let them do their, let them do their thing.
0: Yeah, no, they're that's what we all want to see, you know, and it's that's uh, the uniqueness of each player, their personality, who they are, maybe even at their core, is uh, is kind of who they, you know it would come out in their play in and, and exactly and that's what we're looking for we're looking for individuals especially in a, in a in a game where people are always trying to steal from each other coaches are stealing from each other players are stealing from each other they all got the same trainers so yeah it's kind of one of those things where the uniqueness is is what's great about the about the game Absolutely. now coach who or who or what influenced you to go into the coaching profession
1: um again as I said at the very beginning I, I love sports and I love being around sports and um, when, I, when I was in college I was a journalism major uh, an econ major, I was a dual major but working in the coaching field, uh, working in the sports profession uh, some sports, but it was always in the back of my mind I can remember going to the, to the uh, placement office at St. John's Fisher College and looking at the board of different careers and different jobs that were out there and I, I would do that even as a sophomore and junior, my, my attention would always gravitate over towards the sports field and coaching and And I remember I used to look at the listings of availabilities. I would get excited about it. But I would always convince myself um, that, no, I don't know anybody. I'm not going to be able to get the coaching. Why am I even thinking about it? And when I got out of high school, I mean, so when I got out of college, my high school coach, Martin Reed, called me and said, hey, I have a position open as the JV coach here at Westbury high school, would you be interested in doing it? And, and I jumped right at it. Um, you know, just to maybe back, I got to back up a little bit more during the summer, as well as a college student, I worked at a park, Newcastle park in, in Westbury, Long Island. And part of my duties was to coach a summer league entry by our high school team and some of the junior high school teams in different summer leagues around Long Island and, and New York area. So I got, I got a little bit of an itch and the bug there, but again, never thought about being getting into the coaching profession. Uh, as a living but once I got into coaching high school basketball I knew right then and there that this is where I want to be I want to be in the gym and at that point in time I actually planned to go into uh, uh, become a high school guidance counselor and a high school basketball coach but that was the start for me is going to work for Coach Reed.
0: Wow you know that you're, you're talking about kind of going back to your roots and you know who who kind of you talked about him being an English teacher you know, so he was not just out on the court with you. He was also in the classroom with you. And I think a, oh, yeah. lot, a lot of coaches out, especially high school coaches that might be listening, uh, really take advantage of the time that you're in the classroom as much as you're taking the time in the, uh, on the court because that influence uh, goes a long way. It really does. And uh, yeah. you could change somebody's life and, and, and no in the trajectory of where they're headed in life. And uh, here again, the young men that we coach and, and kind of help to mold – uh, they really need that right now, especially most of them coming yeah. from, you know, single-family homes or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's just yeah. the, that's the reality of what we're facing. And so, yeah, coaches out there, please, uh, you know, spend, yeah. spend, hone your craft and, and master your craft in the classroom just as much as you do on the court. Uh, it's yeah. so important.
1: You, you, you got me thinking now about, you know, other flashpoints or other important influences on me and why I got the coaching. You know, my mom and dad were were huge on education. Being from Jamaica, I mean, I was a third of four. Uh, My older brother's an engineer. My older sister's a hospital administrator. My younger brother ended up going to get an engineering degree. And... One of the things that Coach Reed did was he took us to the Georgetown University Basketball Camp uh, the summer before my senior year. And my parents, they wanted me to go because it was a chance to show me a college campus because they, they were all about education, especially being from Jamaica and coming to the United States. is all about getting education and, and taking advantage of the opportunities that this country can provide. But I remember going down to that camp and you know we we were middle class, but it's not like my parents could throw around, you know. But they yeah. they paid the two hundred dollars at the time for me to go to camp, wow. and I'll never forget sitting in the gym when Coach Thompson. Uh, summer of 1980, walks in the gym, and then, yeah, remember now at that point he didn't have Patrick Ewing. I mean, he was a he was a name on the East Coast, but you know he wasn't Big John as they call him.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I'll never forget when he walked in the gym to address the campers. I never, <laughs> I never seen 200 kids stand at attention so quickly, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I and I was just so oh my gosh I was so impressed by his presence and yeah. the way he spoke to everybody and, and that is, that's always that's also something I think that kind of got me intrigued by coaching like here's a guy walks in the room this 6'10 black man and a sudden every kid stood up at attention yes sir no sir and I thought to myself wow how impressive that you can have that kind of influence on, on kids yeah. you know where I think that there was a high school group uh, team camp so we're like we're off like 16 to around 14 to 18 year olds yeah. and so that was also something that kind of impressed
0: me, going down to that basketball camp in 1980. Wow, that's great, Coach, because I, I, when I think about Coach John Thompson, uh, I just think of somebody who's just – you're always going to get the same thing. Like, he's not uh, – he doesn't get super excited and he doesn't get super upset. I'm sure when he got upset, he got upset. But, you know, like most, <laughs> like, like most of us on the court, but uh, just real stoic and always cool, calm, collective. So yeah. that, that presence, yeah, that's – I mean – all of us can have a presence wherever we walk into if we have if we're confident we're prepared all that so yeah, no, yeah. A great, that's a great story coach really is now coach uh, can you recall a memorable moment, moment of your first time coaching where it was like okay i'm not a player anymore this is it like i'm i'm not maybe not in charge but i'm part of the 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 thinking the think tank and i'm making decisions and yeah. wow this is real
1: you know, before I, I got into college coaching or even coach high school ball, like I said, in the summers, I used to coach our summer league teams. And the very first game I actually coached, this is summer of 81, I'm, uh, just a recent graduate from high school, and Coach Reed asked me to coach the varsity team in the summer league in Springfield Garden, Queens. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. I just I was on the sideline. Basically, I was, substitute, I was substituting. That's all I was doing. Just yeah. subbing guys. You're tired, okay? You come out, you go in, and yeah. played a great game. Lost the game in overtime, and there was this left-handed kid that he went for about 52 on us. I love Whoa. to get it, and I I had no idea who he was. And so right after the game, I run over to the, to the scorebook and I look in the book and it was Walter Berry, Whoa. the great All-America wow. from St. John's. Yeah. And that right there, you know, that was my, my introduction to the fact that, you know, coaching is not just standing on the sideline and substituting players <laughs> yeah. or calling plays. It's about employing strategy. And like, you know, we, again, we lost the game in overtime. Our players played great in that game. Um, there was also another really good guard in the team named Kenny, Kenny Hutchinson who ended up going to Arkansas. I had a good career there. As a matter of years later, Kenny and I, Kenny worked for my basketball camp when I was the head coach at Georgia Tech, and we talked about that game. He remembered that story. But you know, it it was for the first time it was in my mind that hey, you gotta you gotta adjust, you gotta make changes, you gotta employ some strategy, you know, in, in games. And so when I moved forward to becoming the head coach at Siena College, my first head coaching job on the college level, um, that experience, all, uh, along with others that I picked up, you know, from that 1981 league game to coaching at Westbury High School as a JV coach and assistant in the varsity, that I brought all that with me. Wow. Uh, to my first head coaching job in college, but that one game where Walter Berry went for fifty-one or fifty-two, I think it was, and we lost in overtime, has always been in the back of my mind.
0: Yeah, no, nah, man, you can't forget something like that when somebody drops that kind of uh, that kind of performance <laughs> exactly. on you, man. Man, it's like even exactly. if I saw even if I saw you know an elementary kid do that. I mean, anybody dropping that kind yeah. of uh, that, that kind of points on you, that's crazy. Yeah. That, that's a ima- yeah. that's amazing, coach. That you could. You can first go, game I ever coached. Yeah, you can, yeah you go, I remember the first teams I ever coached, and I can go back to those moments. And, and I think here, again, we think about the genesis of why we do what we do now, our why and and what got us here and what got us to this point in life. Because sometimes you have coaching experiences where you're like, what was that all about? Like, it kind mm-hmm. of went by so fast, like. What in the world was going on? What was I thinking or whatever, right? So which kind of leads me to to my next question, coach. How, you know, cause I always talk about adding value wherever we're at, you know, cause that's kind of our our, our job. Uh, cause that's why people are hiring us because uh, we need to solve a problem. And we, mm-hmm. th- there's a lack of value somewhere and we're gonna be there to, to kind of fill that void. So coach, how do you feel like you've added value at each of your stops in your career?
1: um you know i i i think that's a that's a multi layered answer um i i think one of the areas i've tried to add value is trying to set a good example for the young men that were are on our team yeah um I've always thought it was really important to conduct yourself a certain way to look a certain way to dress a certain way act a certain way um in, in public, and especially in front of your players, because you're talking about kids that are a very impressionable age. Yeah. Um, the other thing I always try to do, when, and uh, I learned from working basketball camps. Um, when I made the decision to try to get into college coaching, that decision was made while I was a high school coach. And so, what I would do in the summers was I used to go work different basketball camps. Um, the five-star camp, uh, the Georgetown camp, actually, and went into going back to work, and uh, the Rick Patino camp at uh, Providence College. And, and one of the things that really impressed me about Coach Pitino was his individual instruction, his emphasis on in- individual instruction. And I looked at that as an opportunity to... Uh, to mentor players in a different way it's one thing to mentor them as being a role model and teaching them you know how to conduct themselves and and, and just how to set goals themselves but now I tried to become an expert in game of basketball teaching players individually how to improve themselves and how to add value to their game so that was the other thing I thought I did is I, I thought I did a really good job of, of working particularly when I was at Villanova University working with our post players and helping our post players to develop their games and that's something I took you know when I went from going over to Siena to Georgia Tech and even George Mason um, the one thing that if you talk to our former players they'll tell you that those individual instruction sessions were really valuable to them um, not only from standpoint of, of how it helped them to improve as a player but also to create a, a better bond and better relationship with the coaches. not just me but my coaching staff as well. so I think you know just trying to work with kids and, and trying to help them to get better, um, Is something that I tried to bring to every experience wherever I was.
0: That's fantastic, Coach. Because I think all of us can say that we've experienced that. Like when the player says, "Hey, Coach, I want to get some shots up." Do we just look at them and say, "Well, go"? Or you know, yeah. I, I guess nowadays go get the shooting gun and the shooting machine, and then go ahead and do what you got to do. But then there's yeah. still there's still value, and there's still something to be said for uh, rebounding for a player, giving them good passes, of course and uh, you know just spending time in that process yeah teaching in that process because everybody talks about the process the process the process but you can't just be there for the beginning and the end of the process you got to be there in the middle everybody wants to be part of the beginning and the end uh, but not everybody wants to be there in the middle where all the work is done so yeah you
1: know you know Mike one of the things I often point to um, in terms of the, the, the value and how effective we were. When I was at Georgia Tech, I was there 11 years, and we had 13 NBA players come out of Georgia Tech at that time. Yeah. And I, and certainly the lion's share of the credit for those kids make for the NBA was their talent their work ethic. Yeah. But, you know, I, I look at the other schools in the ACC during that time. Obviously, Duke and Carolina had a, had a bunch of pros. But we were right there with them. And, and this is not a, a criticism. It's just a comparison. Uh, Since we've left Georgia Tech they haven't had as many NBA players And and I really believe in talking to my guys that have been around the program before and after. Again, we're not talking about exes, and I was not talking about anything other than just working with players. You know, they often say to me, "Coach, like you know, what we used to do for individual instruction really made a difference." I'll talk to my former players that are that were in the NBA or still in the NBA. I'll see them, they'll talk, and they'll say, "You know what, Coach? I thought you were crazy some of those drills, how hard they were that we doing, but now I get it." Anthony Morrow was one guy in particular who I, I had a good relationship with him, yeah. but I think there were some times where he he, he, he didn't appreciate how hard I was pushing them. Yeah. And in hindsight, I probably could have done a better job of of letting them understand that there's a method to the madness here. But, yeah. you know, sometimes when you're younger, you get just like, just do it. And I don't want to hear it. And, but now, like I would say at least once a year, I get a call from Anthony Murray, I played 10 years or so in the NBA. And he's like, coach, I never would have made it unless, you know, you pushed me the way you did and taught us the way you, you taught us. And so, wow. um, yeah, it, it's, the 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 individual instruction program and work with the players to teach them how to break down their game, how to improve their game. I don't think enough people understand the value that's there, and really study. It's like any other. It's like trying to break down a a, a one-two-two two zone offense, I mean, zone defense, or yeah. running a particular offense. You know. I think coaches spend way too much time working on plays and particular defenses as opposed to working with players.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, spend more time uh, with that kind of uh, the sweat equity, if you will, and and invest, mm-hmm. and invest in the in who they are as people. I mean, coach, I I'll always go back to what's happening right now in society, and the more time we spend time with our young people, and uh, the more we spend time with our loved ones, the more we can all work to understand each other because I think that's what's lacking is uh, just just yeah. an understanding of uh, who we all are as individuals, who we are as people, as a people for some of us, and uh, just kind of getting to that investing time in one another and caring for one another. Because that's what it comes down to. These kids, uh, this generation of players right now, is more it's more of a mental thing than it is a physical. Mm-hmm. Because they're bigger, faster, stronger, for sure. Uh, but yeah. they have the mental aptitude to kind of push forward and get the, the optimum out of themselves. So, yeah. I I, I completely agree with what you're saying, Coach. Now, uh, I would ask you, Coach, how have each of your coaching experiences prepared you for where you're at right now with the Clippers?
1: Um, You know, Lawrence Frank, who's our president of basketball operations, is the person that hired me. Um, Obviously, he and Doc, they confer. He and Doc Rivers confer on everything. And he had a vision of what he wanted in his front office when he took over. He left the bench, he was assistant coach of Doc, and then. Doc put him into the front office and uh, he thought that I could bring some value in the fact that, you know, I came up from the very bottom in terms of JV, assembly coach, JV coach, the college assistant coach, and then, and so on. And one of the things that he really wanted to do was to bring a certain type of players to player to the Clipper organization. And he felt with my background in evaluating players, um, not only, you know, Running a, a junior varsity or varsity tryout and trying to figure out who's good and who can help you win, who can't help you win, to recruiting some of the best players in the country, whether it was a Chris Bosh or a Jared Jack and Mont Shumpert, Thaddeus Young, those type of guys. He felt like I could bring an opinion that he could use among a bunch of opinions to try to figure out who he wanted on the on the roster, he, who and he and Doc felt was best suited for the Clippers and how they wanted to play. So. um, you know my experience in total uh, recruiting, knowing some of the some of the youth league coaches, grassroots coaches, AU coaches, whatever you want to call them, the high school coaches, uh, my colleagues, you know, former colleagues on the college level. Um, I was able to get information from those people to try to figure out who these young men are, because yeah. I mean there are a lot of terrific young people playing the game of basketball. They really are. I, I don't think the players get enough credit for. Um, the type of students that they are, uh, for the type of people they are in their communities. but not everybody fits in every situation. And so I think what Lawrence wanted for me was to bring my vast experience not only in evaluating selecting players, but also trying to you know, having the the contact to find out who these young men are. He always yeah. talks about who are they? and 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 there's certain type of guys we want to bring into our locker room. And yeah. I, I think he and Doc deserve so much credit for flipping our roster from a Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, you know, and really not skipping a beat. I mean, we were we were at a stage where that thing had kinda of run its course and now we're gonna to have to change it over and you yeah. can see in the NBA, sometimes it takes teams forever to make that transition from one era to another. I mean, you yeah. just finished watching the last dance and the Chicago Bulls have been rebuilding since 1998. Yeah, yeah. And they haven't they haven't reached that contender status except for one short period of time there when they had Derrick Rose before he got hurt. But I think the job that Lawrence and Doc have done, it's been remarkable how quickly they were able to flip the roster from Blake, um, Chris Paul, DJ, to now we've got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Montrezl Harrell. Um, and, and they're almost all the type of guys that Lawrence and Doc love. They they always talk about having those gritty, tough, you know, players that you know we, we, we want those type of guys. We talk about Clipper DNA and Clipper characteristics a lot, and I think my background helped him to locate those players that he felt, or at least to give my opinion on who I thought fit the Clipper characteristics that he and Doc were looking for.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, Coach. Because you have to invest time with those who you're investing money with at that level yeah. and uh, kind of inspect what you expect. Uh, so, yeah, then it, play, it, plays a, it plays a big part in trying to figure out who these young men are and who these men are uh, because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you want them not only to kind of uh, feel comfortable and accepted and part of the group and part of the culture, but you also want to make sure that uh, you're getting somebody who you can trust because you're, you're going to... Yeah. You know, trust is reciprocal, and uh, that's, yep. just, that's just how it works. So, Coach yeah, – well,
1: And we, we want them to be themselves. You know, we yeah. don't want them to be robots. Right, but right. At the same time, we, we love a guy like a Patrick Beverly. You know, <laughs> yeah. we were we were fortunate to dry, draft Shea Gilgis Alexander a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, we had to trade him. But, like, you know, I, I can tell you that there were a number of players around that slot of the draft that graded out about the same as a player, but there was something about Shay's personality and his – you know, just the way he, he conducted himself that, that made him say, yeah, this guy's a clipper. Yeah. Um, and and there, there are other stories like that. There are two young men in our organization right now, Seander Cabangeli and Terrence Mann, who both came out of Florida State. Yeah. They're clippers. Those type of guys are clippers. They, 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 they represent everything that we want in our organization. And so... You know, we've been able to make some moves and bring some people in, and, and created a team that, yes, you got to have talent to win. Let's not kid ourselves, but yeah. they play the game the way we want it played. In that, you know, if there's a fight for a loose ball, we're confident that a Montrezl Harrell is going to pull it out of there. We're confident yeah. that a Marcus Morris is going to pull it out of there. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody's going to make the extra pass, give up their body, take a charge. You know, we feel like we have a team full of guys like that, and. Um, you know, will it help us win a championship? You know, hopefully we'll find out here before, uh, you know, at some point, hopefully we, we, we can get back to the court and keep playing. But we like our group and we like how they approach the game.
0: I like your chances too, Coach. Like, I, I, you know, kind of looking at the whole spectrum of the, of the league and kind of how things are unfolding and how, you know, trying to roll things back out. Uh, yeah, it looks, it looks very promising. And like you're talking about, you're running down names of, of young men and men. That are uh, you know really, you know in their role, uh, producing in their role, being stars in their role, uh, and it's hard to keep those guys though because you you develop them so well that they, yeah. they, they become yeah. a, commo- a hot commodity on the free agent market. So that's always kind of the thing too. You always know you're you're successful when people want your players, and uh, exactly. that's that's always a big sign yeah. of success at that level. Now, coach, what was your biggest adjustment jumping from the college game to the professional? Uh, setting that you're in right now.
1: Um, learning the pro game. Um, I, I tell people, I tell friends of mine that are in college or AU hey, coaches. Said, I'll never use the term when I look at a kid one time. say, oh, he's a pro because yeah. you, you can look as many ninth, tenth, eleventh grade as you want that are great players and at that level. I would never ever look at a kid that. Oh yeah, he's a pro. No, it's just. Yeah. It, there's so much that goes into being a professional basketball player. There's yeah. so much and. Um, and, and there's so many things that don't meet the eye in terms of who's going to take care of their body, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's going to eat properly, who, who's going to rest. Cause I, you know, there are 82 games in the NBA season, and there are a lot of guys walking on the face of the earth that can play 20, 30, 40 games in the NBA and be very successful. Yeah. But who can get you to, you know, gets you through 82 games and then, you know, in the playoffs, I mean, you're talking about one of the things that people, <clears throat> I don't think they appreciate a lot about LeBron James or enough about LeBron James is the fact that I think he's played on like nine finals, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's a lot of basketball. That's yeah. a lot of basketball. I think, you know, to eight straight finals, we're talking about eight years in a row of playing probably somewhere between 100 to 110 games if you count exhibition and, and postseason. And so, you know, to be able to have the mental and physical discipline to prepare for that grind, succeed in that grind. I, I don't think guys understand just how good these guys are, how tough they are mentally, and how much they take care of themselves physically in order to to do it. So, the biggest adjustment I had was to understand that concept. You know, we do a, a draft board probably start January, January first, February first, first of each month. And I remember the first draft board I did. In hindsight, it was so off base because I was looking at guys that were all runners and jumpers, and you know they made shots. But then when you got when you really started to dig in, you started to figure out okay, this guy this is why this guy's going to succeed, and you could also say yeah. this is why this guy probably will not succeed. So the biggest adjustment yeah. I had to make was to to look beyond the obvious and dig into the backgrounds and start to really, I mean, I did it when I was a college coach when I was recruiting. If I ever got back on the college level, I would be so much better a recruiter right now than, than I was back then. And I thought I recruited some good players when I was at Villanova as an assistant, at Siena as a head coach in Georgia Tech. I thought we did a good job of, of you know, getting talent. But there's another level that has to be given consideration and when you make your decisions on who is good and who's not good, or who has potential to be a pro and who's not going to be a good pro.
0: Yeah, no, you're saying a lot there, coach. Because uh, it, it's a it's a term thrown out there. There's levels to this, right? And there really is. Like there are actual tangible, if you will, levels of uh, how guys can progress, how they are progressing, and what's their ceiling. You know, because yeah. there's some guys that are peaking early. There's some guys that, like we talked about you earlier, as a as a player, we're developing still, and yep. you have to be kind of keen and 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 aware of uh, you know where that's at. And so yeah, I've heard people said all the time that kid's a pro. I mean, I've seen some really good players in, in my time, and I think wow, that, yeah. kid, that kid could be a pro. But then I'm thinking, he's we don't even know we don't even know where he's headed. You know, he still has yeah. so many years to grow. He has so many ma- years to mature. Or, or go backwards yeah. and become immature? I don't know. Uh, how can he handle situations and pressure, you know, with a professional lifestyle? I mean, all that. Oh, yeah. You know, all that goes into place. So those variables really stack up and add up. So, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Coach, because I, I, mean,
1: I, I look at I look at the new thing that the NBA is trying with this G League select team and they're selecting kids. And they give them a tremendous opportunity financially Yeah. to earn some money. But the one thing I, I tell people, I said, you know, it, it's a hard thing to predict when a kid's a, a 12th grader if he's going to be a surefire NBA player. And I said, yeah. let's think about this program that the NBA has undertaken. And I get their intentions. And, um, I, again, it's a tremendous opportunity for young men. But two players who are the – You know, the two main guys on our team, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, would not even have been considered for that program when they were coming out of high school. And so, like I said, like, you know, your question is a great question. What was the biggest adjustment I had to make? The biggest adjustment is understanding that being a pro is not necessarily about being a talented basketball player. There's a lot more that goes into it. And like I said, my first draft board on January 1st of 2017, um, looks a lot different from what my next my last draft board looked like what I did last month you yeah. know because I, I have a much better understanding of okay here's what the composition of a player that's going to be an NBA player or has a champion in player looks like
0: yeah so there's no what you're saying as well coaches there's no substitute for experience and uh, right and, you know and putting your eyes yeah. on people and really here again understanding levels and uh you know what it takes to be a pro and so uh, coaches out there listening you know those of you who aspire to kind of coach at the ne- at the next level, the pro level, whatever. Uh, really, have to learn how to evaluate with a very uh, I, I take a holistic approach to it, not just the yeah. best, not just the game, not just the athleticism, because we kind of get wild by athleticism, and then we feel yeah. and then we feel like, well, just give me that great athlete and I'll turn him into a player, and that's yeah. not, and that's not necessarily all that's it's cracked up to be. So I appreciate you again. Appreciate you sharing that, coach, giving us some insight. Now, what excites you, Coach, about working with people? Because you're in the people business. We all, as coaches, are. And I think we understand that now. But what excites you about that?
1: Well, you know, I I think you you said something earlier that you're you're an optimist. And uh, working with people makes me optimistic because I get a chance to work with kids that are just they're hungry. They want to be good, and and they work hard. One of the big arguments I have with the media a lot is they they like to point out the negative things that happen in a young people young person's life. Yeah. Um, and I remember used to at press conferences, I used to tell them all the time. Like they would a topic would come up about somebody who made a, a mistake somewhere nationally, uh, was a basketball player, a football player, whatever. And I used to tell them, I said, okay, raise your hands. If, between 18 and 22, you made a stupid decision, and they all start laughing. I said, <laughs> yeah, "No, no, no. I said, no!" I said, "I said, don't laugh!" I said, "No, let's let's just put it out there." And so, yeah, yeah. what makes me excited about working with people is I, I just think there's so much good talent out there, to, you know. And I don't mean talent as a basketball player. I'm just talking about talent that, that that can come in and help our society. You get them in college, yeah. uh, you, you, you provide an example for them, you give them an opportunity to learn, uh, you give them an opportunity to get a career going and so I think it's it's really exciting to see a kid go from a high school kid who's not sure what he wants to do to a college kid to an adult and you see that person you know contributing to society in a really positive way yeah. the other thing that makes me excited especially working with the Clippers I just think Uh, Doc and Lawrence have done a great job putting together a good staff of people, and we all really work well together. Uh, It's probably the most unselfish organization I can remember being involved with uh, ever. And and being a part of Steve Lapis' staff at Villanova University, we had a great group of people there. I thought for the most part our staff at Georgia Tech and our administrations at Georgia Tech were really, really good. But I also watched some different situations where I was part of organizations and, and administrations that they weren't on the right page or weren't on the same page. And I just saw how, you know, unfortunate um, the results can be. Um, one of the things I love, specific to the Clippers, like I said, is I just think from our from owner, Steve Ballmer, to Jerry West, to Lawrence, to Doc, wow. to our scouting directors, like we are all on the same page. I, I can't ever remember a time when a discussion and you have heated discussions when you're trying to make decisions on who to draft or who not to draft or who to trade, who not to trade. Not that I'm involved in trade discussions. I'm, I'm pretty much exclusively involved in draft discussions. But never one time has it ever walked outside that room where somebody was grumbling or, or somebody you know, was, was upset about Like Once we decide, everybody's in lockstep. And so it's great to see organizations, um, and I've been a part of a few of them, where everybody's working, you know, towards the same goal, and there's no individual agendas. And like I said, so combination of me being excited about the talent that's out there, and you know, in terms of young people, not just as basketball players, but as people, but also seeing an organization, a cohesive unit, come together to do something really positive. Those things excite me.
0: Yeah, I don't know who wouldn't be worked up, coach, to work with the logo uh, with Doc, Doc, <laughs> Doc Rivers, <laughs> a great owner like Steve Ballmer, and uh, and Lawrence Frank. I mean, those are. Those, some of those guys are really iconic and, uh, you know, on a, yeah. on a day-to-day, what you can learn, what you can uh, kind of also impart and kind of feel, get you know, we all try to look for our voice as a coach. We all try to look for our voice in whatever kind of space we're in. But you can find your voice when guys like that affirm you. Like, that'll give you so much confidence, too, I can imagine. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, great. that's great stuff, Coach. Now, how's your career enriched your life? Because – our lives are spent so much, you know, so much in the gym, so much on phone calls and recruiting, or, or here again, like yourself, traveling everywhere to see players. Uh, how has your career enriched your life?
1: The game of basketball allows you to travel the world. Um, you know, obviously, everybody's well aware of the financial rewards if you're successful. But even if you're not one of the few people that can, can take part in the financial riches of the game. But if you're, you know, if you're in this game, you can go all over the world and meet people from different places. I, I've yeah. done clinics in Senegal, uh, Dakar, wow. Senegal. I've done clinics in Istanbul, Turkey. Wow. Um, I, I've been to Greece to watch basketball games. I've been to Serbia to meet basketball coaches and talk to them about the game and players. Um, it, it's been amazing. Some of the people I've met, I'll never forget. Uh, meeting president bill clinton yes. after a game at georgetown we were playing uh against uh, one of the Allen Iverson years i think it was Allen Iverson's sophomore year and uh, he came in the locker room to meet our players and our and, and our coaching staff actually my mom has a picture yes. our sports information director had the photographer take a picture of me shaking bill clinton's hand my mom wow. has it in her home that's awesome um, so yeah it's just it's Meeting people is a great way to kind of break down barriers, and there's no greater tool to break down barriers than sports, and particularly basketball and soccer, because those are the two sports that are played around the world, and everybody relates to and understands. Everybody just get a soccer ball, you can run around, just get some people and run around, kick the ball around, or basketball. I mean, it's it's cheap, it's easy to play, so. Um, the, the game of basketball has, has exposed me to so many different people in so many different cultures that um, I, if I certainly, if I wasn't in the game, I, I definitely wouldn't be as as, as aware and, uh, and, and was fortunate to, to experience some of the things I've experienced in my life.
0: No, nah, coach. I, I appreciate what you said there about breaking down barriers with the game. Uh, I think that's kind of a universal language is competition in my opinion. Uh, when we, yeah. You can get out there and compete against other because there's a respect. Yeah, I watch boxing a lot, love boxing, sweet science, right? Yeah. And, yep. man, you see the the love and the compassion towards each other, even at the end of a fight. Like, we worked hard, we worked like dogs, we beat the snot out of each other, and there's respect because yep. that competitive drive just kind of cuts through all that and, and, and bridges gaps. So, yeah, no, I, I think right now here again, I, my heart's just so stuck on what's going on in society right now that I can't help to think uh, how how sports can help mend a lot of this right now, and yeah. and hopefully it will because we we do need something. There's something missing, and and yeah. and I think that's part of it too. Now, Coach, I I, I ask about you know not necessarily regrets in your career and life because most of us would go back and say I wouldn't change a thing. I love everything that ever happened in my life and my career and all that. I wouldn't mm-hmm. change a thing. Mm-hmm. But if there's anything you would change about your career, what would it be and why?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very fair question. And I think it would be naive to say that there's nothing you wouldn't change. Now, yeah. I, I, I'm well aware I don't have the opportunity or ability to change anything. But as a cautionary tale to young coaches moving forward, yeah. um, I was very, very naive as a coach. Uh, and by that I mean, when I got the head job at, at, at Sienna College, I worked for an athletic director, in John Dargenio, that we were again on the same page and it created a lot of success. When I got the job at Georgia Tech, I was working for an athletic director, in Dave Brain, again same page and a lot of success. When there was a change in administration and then there was a difference in philosophy from the top, you know, down to our to our program, there was definitely it was it was hard and. When I say I was naive, I certainly should have. I should have moved on from Georgia Tech because you work at the pleasure of the presidents and the athletic directors. Yeah, yeah, And I had I had a couple opportunities in 2008. I think it was yeah, I think it was 2008. I had an opportunity to go to Stanford University, and I really considered that, and I decided against it because my kids are a certain age. And in 2010, I basically accepted the job at St. John's University, but was talked out of it by the athletic director and his assistant. Uh, His right hand man, that hey, you're the guy, at, you know, we need you here at George Tech. And then in 2011, they fired me. And so I, I would say to, to young coaches moving forward um, don't be naive and don't be idealistic, too idealistic, um, because once you're out of coaching, once you get fired, there's a mark next to your name that makes it really hard to jump back in.
2: yeah
1: And I, I would say to coaches, manage your career as precious as it is. Yeah. Don't take it for granted, dude, because it's not like I remember working for Steve Lapis at the Villanova, and we would always talk about, like, in coaching, if you get fired at Villanova University, you can't just go work someplace else at, a, at, a, at that same level very easily. Like, if you're a banker, you know, and you get fired from, you know, Wells Fargo, you can go work for Bank of America and not really have much of a drop-off. But in coaching, it's once you're at that level you have to do what you have to do to maintain your ability to stay at that level yeah. and, and coach at a high level. Cause again, that's where you might have your greatest impact societally. And so I would, I would caution coaches to really manage their careers very well. And when there is a change in administration, make sure you sit down with that, that administrator and say, okay, where do we, where, you know, what are your thoughts on these different topics? What are your thoughts on how we run our program? And from there, you're going to be able to tell if you can work with that guy. And if you can't, there's nothing wrong. doesn't make that person or that, that new administrator a bad administrator or a bad person, but understand that they have a tremendous amount of power over your career. Yeah. And you've got to take care of your career yeah. and make sure you manage your career. Don't be naive. I was very naive. I just said, hey, I'm going to do like I did working for John DiGenio. I'm going to do like I did working for Dave Brown. I'm just going to work hard and good things are going to happen. Um, it doesn't necessarily happen like that all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I put that on me. I don't put that on them. I, I put it on me for being naive as opposed to moving on and just picking up and moving on. And so I could stay in the profession and still have an impact. Um, I stayed around too long. And so yeah. I think a lot of times coaches will tell you that the worst thing you can do, Lou Holtz always had a term, he said, you make 100 new enemies every year. Wow. So for for every year you're at a at a program, Lou Holtz used to say, "Well, maybe it's a 1,000. He said, "You know, the first year after the first year, you got a thousand guys that, that hate you. After your second, you got two thousand, and if you're there, you know, ten years, eleven years, you got eleven thousand people that they can't stand you. <laughs> yeah, Just, it's part yeah, of yeah. the profession. It's nothing more than part of the profession. And so, I think unless you're winning at a really really high level all the time." You know, you got to be aware of that and say, okay, there is a time when you say, okay, you got to push back from the table and say, hey, it's been a good run. I appreciate the opportunity I had here, but it's time to move on. And so if I had to do it all over again, I definitely would have probably moved on earlier in my career from Georgia Tech.
0: You know, that's powerful advice, Coach, because I heard you say that a couple of weeks back on a Zoom call that we were on. And, uh, you know, you talked about also in that call to do your homework about who your admin is, who your AD is. Yeah. Do your research yeah. and find out you know what's going on. They're gonna they've done their yeah. research on you, and kind of you know n- yeah. not flip the script, but do your due diligence. In other words, and uh yeah. you know managing your career is so important, especially at the at the college level, the Division One level. You know you're out there. I mean it's like, man, you do. You say you want to stay somewhere too long. I've I've always seen, seen myself as a lifer, right? Like I'm a lifer. You're gonna have to bury me on the football field. And, you know I'm just going to be such a great you know you yeah. know fixture here but at the end of the day there comes a point where maybe, maybe I need to move on and uh,
1: yeah and, uh, those days are unfortunately the days of people you know being lifers at, at a program I think those days are over yeah, I mean they're, they're sure. very very few and far between I mean I, one of the examples I always point to I look at a guy like Nolan Richardson you know he won a national, national championship at Arkansas went to several final fours but at the end he ends up like director had a had an issue, and um, usually, the athletic director is going to win that battle. Yeah, um, it sure. was unfortunate that Coach Richmond had to go out the way he went out, um, but it, it's also it, it's part of the coaching profession. That's why I tell young coaches: try not to make it personal. Yeah, just be business about it, and understand like there is a time when coaches have to move on. Like I said, that Lou Holtz quote was so perfect. You yeah. said every year you make you know a whole new set of enemies, yeah. and so at some point, unless you're unless you're like you know one of the guys that's winning at at a high high level every year, um, you you gotta you know you, you gotta you gotta evaluate your career, and again, and manage it just as precious as that career is. You gotta yeah. manage it in that in that spirit and that light.
0: Fantastic, Coach. Yeah, I thank you for sharing that. Very insightful here again. It's a, it's a blessing for coaches to really hear these things because it may be something you're not thinking of and you're not being vigilant also as well. Exactly. So, Coach, I would ask you kind of, a, you know, here again, a, a very important question uh, because I feel like here again, what's happening right now in societies, it's not it's not something we can all individually do on, on our own, but if as a group and together we can make change now, given all this civil unrest in our society, Coach, how would you suggest yeah. that, that we as leaders and coaches do our part? How, what can we do to, to, to bring change in the space that we're in?
1: Well, what I'm going to say is it's probably not going to make anybody feel like, oh, that, that's the answer. Let's, you know. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the first thing and the most important thing is, 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 is definitely to preach you know, peaceful protest. Yeah. Um, I get very frustrated because I grew up in a predominantly black community. Um, you know, when I was in Brooklyn, when I was in Queens, and then when I went to Westboro, Long Island, it's a predominantly black town of Long Island. And it's so hard, especially in America, to create or, or to have equal opportunities at healthcare, care, education, um, you know, even just environment, clean environment. Yeah. And so why destroy you know, your own community. I yeah, just, it's, yeah, it's very frustrating yeah. to see. With that said, I do understand that there is frustration, and I'm well aware that it can drive you to do things that you may regret later on. life, but I think the number one thing I would talk to, to people that I have a chance to influence like, listen, protest or protest peacefully. Um, the second thing is, is you know, part of the impatient is is to exercise your right to vote yeah um and again i work with young people I, i've worked with young people my whole life before i got into coaching um you know before i got into college coaching, i was a college admissions counselor as an academic advisor and, and i don't think people give young people enough credit for being able to understand and and really to critically think about the issues that are in front of us yeah and the the, the, the the opportunity and the right to vote is something I don't think we talk to young people about enough. Yeah. Um, there, that opportunity to change who's making the laws, um, who's appointing the judges, who's appoint, who's creating the policies that impact everything from the type of health care you get to the type of uh, environment, and when I say environment, I'm talking about clean air, clean water, um, the education you get, you know, putting, you know, letting, putting those people on notice that hey, unless you do what's right for all of us, we're going to vote you out of office. Yeah, I, I think you know, I think the people that we have impact on and, and closest to, we got to get that message to them that they've got to exercise their right to vote. And I'm not telling you how to vote, yeah. but at least make yourself aware of those issues and 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 really, you know, use that as a tool to to create the society you want to see. Um, Again, I'm not going to sit here and pass judgment on anybody who's had enough, because I've I've had enough. Uh, I was telling my wife last night when I was watching the things that were going on in Atlanta, where we live, you know, I've been watching these protests, and I can remember, remember being a kid in New York, Watching the evening news when, when the uh, the situation happened in Miami, I think it was Arthur McDuffie, a young man, uh, a gentleman that was on a motorcycle, got run down by four police officers, beat yeah. to death. Yeah. Um, they were right, they were talking about the 70s. I can remember, you know, the Howard Beach incident in Manhattan. I remember mm-hmm. in Brooklyn when a young man was chased down by an angry mob and killed an African American. I mean, and it has been, there's been a right. I mean, the Rodney King thing. I worked at USC for a, for a year for George Ravlin, who was my mentor, a guy I talked to an awful lot about these types of issues. And I remember when the Rodney King riots happened. And, you know, I can go down the line. And we keep rioting, we keep rioting, we keep tearing up our communities. But then when it comes time to go vote, when well, my frustration comes in, is like, okay, here's your chance. Yeah, here's a chance to make some sort of substantive change, and we certainly made that substantive change in 2008, and we had great progress from eight to 2012, the first term of President Obama. But we dropped the ball in 2010. We didn't get out and vote, and, yeah. and and there was a different mindset that was able to take hold because they mobilized their people to go out and vote, and they put in they put in some some things that uh, really stopped President Obama from making some policies that I personally feel I'm a certainly Obama fan, no question about it, that was going to create more equity in our society. Yeah, and even after 2016, um, you know, he had some. He he and Eric Holder, our Attorney General, had put in some. Some policies in place and some, uh, some some orders in place, consent decrees that we're going to have them evaluate how we were policing in the United States and come to a mutually agreeable form of policing uh, between the police department and the Justice Department and, and and some of the community leaders. But a lot of those programs were stopped and rolled back when Jeff Sessions was put in place by our current president. So. I know that's a long winded way, but nah, no, no. you know, Mike, I, I'm I'm used to talking to players about these type of things, and they get it. And yeah. I don't think we talk to our young people enough about it. I Not think we assume all. that they have, you know, an opinion, or they or they don't have any interest in it. But I think you'd be amazed if you sit down and explain things to young people. Like, hey, this is why you got to go vote. Yeah. And so,
0: I, I you know. I, I said a lot deal what I probably yeah, no 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 you you know and you know you're saying a lot of truth and that's that's part of this platform coach is set up so you can share your heart and that's why I ask these questions because I want to hear your heart and I think you're right completely we we uh, we try to leave it up to post-secondary education to teach kids about critical thinking because that's kind of one of the staples of college uh, you know academia is like we're going to teach you to be a critical thinker. How do you know they're not already? Uh, first exactly. of all. Second of all, uh, we teach sometimes in society, be it right or wrong, to have a lack of respect for authority. But that hurts both sides. It really does. Yeah. Like you said, well, I, I don't like this. Okay. Well, it's not about what you like or don't like. It's about what's right and what's wrong. What, what is it, yeah. you know, morally, ethically right and wrong? And so I think, you know, that whole idea of people are stopping us from, you know, I'm a minority. People are stopping me from doing what I need to do in my life. That's that's baloney. No, I can go get it if I need it. Uh, if I want to go vote, I can go do that. Like I have that right. Uh, I don't. I don't experience any kind of suppression. At least myself, uh, I can get out and make a difference with my vote. So I hear what you're yeah. saying. We need to stop treating politics like it's sex and having that conversation. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, we're have yeah. that conversation.
1: And, yeah. Let me say one thing, Mike. Uh, and I'm probably remiss in and not recognizing. You know what? What sparked this is obviously the unfortunate murder of of George Floyd. Yeah. yeah. Um, One of my former assistant coaches, Pete Schwedhelm. Uh, he knew him, he, he actually, t- wow. we were ta- texting the other day, and he talked about playing basketball with him in, in Houston. You know, they played on a, some camp team together and just said he's just the nicest guy in the world. And yeah. um I didn't get into great detail. So, like, it, my heart goes out to his family, obviously. For sure, for sure. And, uh, you know, w- what you hope that will happen is the first part of this process is is that those police officers are prosecuted. But I think yeah. also the second part of that process is got to be like, Let's not hold these police officers up as emblematic of all the police officers that are out here patrolling our streets and and, and protecting our our people. Now, again, if you really want to change how policing is done, it starts at the ballot box. It starts by putting people in position, putting people in charge, like Eric Holder, who's going to go to the Ferguson Police Department, evaluate how the police department was handing out speeding tickets, how the police department in Ferguson... Was was you know, you know arresting people at a disproportionate rate and and calling these things out publicly for a review yeah. and and sitting down with a panel of people say here's how we're going to change it now. Again, I think a lot of times people think, guy ah, well, you can, you can't explain all this stuff." People aren't going to they don't have the time or the patience to learn and understand this. I think they're wrong. The young people yeah. I've dealt with in my life, they're more than willing to take in. You know, information like that, and to think about it. And again, I'm not trying to get anybody to think the way I think, but I certainly want to give somebody an opportunity to form an opinion.
0: Right, right, and that and that's where it starts. Is like well, if I form an opinion about the type of food I like, then I do a little bit more, uh, you know, research on it, and I and I find out more about it. Maybe one day I want to make it at home, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the interest has to be sparked. The uh, I don't know, just the overall general knowledge of. The process of of politics uh congress senate voting local uh you know federal i mean those things like that mean a lot and so yeah coach i hear you completely what you're saying because
1: uh i just and last thing i say about it—is i hope every one of the people that are out there protesting and again they have that right to protest i hope every one of them also show up at the ballot box in november exactly that's all i ask because if you're gonna go out there and cause civil unrest and in some cases Burn down, you know, privately owned business in black communities, or destroy property in black communities, um, or any community for that matter. You better have the, the energy to go out and vote and say, "Okay, I burned this building down because I want change." Now you better go out and try to exercise your right to vote to create that change.
0: You know, coach, it's like that saying the kids have or young pe- younger people have. Keep a, keep that same energy. Keep that same mm-hmm. energy come November keep that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, that's fantastic. Coach, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, my last question is always about legacy coaching. You've been doing this coaching thing and this mentoring thing and this people business thing for a while. And so I would ask you, Coach, what would you want to be said of you when your career is all said and done? Wow. <laughs> um, I, I,
1: I'm 57 years old. Hopefully it's not all said and done yet. No, no, no. You got a ways to go. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I hope that the, the complete book isn't been written because I've learned a lot. Uh, I, I, there's certain some things, like I said to you earlier, I could have done better. Um, but there's certain some things that I'm very proud of, and um, I, I, I hope at the end people say, "Hey, look, he, he tried to give, you know, young people an opportunity. Yeah. Period." And I'm still in that business. I still hear from former players, and and they run things by me, or they're, "Hey, can you give me a recommendation about this, or let me know how what's the best path to take if I want to get into that career." Um, so, like I said, hopefully, you know, um, I have, you know, many, many more years to, to really, you know, crystallize that legacy. And so, but until then, I hope it's just about trying to help young people.
0: Fantastic coach. I thank you for your time, coach. I know you got to run. I really do appreciate it. It's been very insightful, very helpful. Um, uh, my notebook is filled with two pages of notes, so I, I, I we're good here on this end, but here again, Coach. Uh spending some time with us to share your perspective, your heart, your 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 view on life and, and everything. I do appreciate it.
1: All right, Mike. Well listen, I appreciate you having me on and uh good luck. Hopefully we'll meet up some point.
0: Yes, sir, for sure. Have a good day.
1: You too. Bye bye.